Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt. I am your host today. I'm Peter Karutz, and I usually say that we are here live, but we are we're kind of live. So this is going to be live to tape. You know, in the old days, they'd say, this is live to videotape. So we are not here live today as you're hearing it, but we are here live as we speak. This, is, this program is going to be called Jesus is Here, and you are going to be really surprised about what we're talking about. We have, luckily today, with us my associate pastor, Father John Schneier. Peter, how are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Very happy to be here. Very so, happy to be Father, here. Father, you were just uh, you just joined the parish uh, how long ago? It's a little over a year ago, actually. Uh, I know it feels like yesterday, but it's been, uh, gosh, it's been 13 months. 13 it months. Was a so weird, it was a weird time to get moved to a parish in the middle of, of COVID, but uh, yeah, it's been 13 months at Incarnate Word. I've loved it, and it's been a great place. It's a unique place. Yeah. yeah. I've been there a, a couple of years. Of course, this is a significant part of your priesthood now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> it pretty much is my priesthood at this point. <laughs> so when were you ordained? I was ordained in 2017, so about four years ago. Um, I'm a lifelong St. Louisan. I entered seminary right out of high school after going to SLU High and did Cardinal Glennon College for three years and then four years at Kenrick School of Theology. I got ordained in 2017, and I had spent the previous, my first three years, rather, of my priesthood at St. Joseph Parish in Cottleville, oh, wow. our largest parish right out here yeah. in St. Charles, and now I'm at Incarnate Word, and I'm loving it. And we're happy that you're here. So today's program is Jesus is Here, and we're going to be talking about the Eucharist. We, and the reason this program started is at, at our parish, our pastor uh, decided that there would be a coordination of the homilies during the month or so, five weeks, that we were reading from John 6th. Correct, yeah. So during the, we're in year B of the, uh, of the Sunday Mass rotations. Most of it is from the Gospel of Mark. Most of the ordinary time readings and even kind of the even like, like an example would be the Palm Sunday Passion. It's all from St. Mark. And now, as we know, St. Mark is the shortest of the three synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it doesn't really—there's not enough material, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So there's, John's filler? He is. He is. <laughs> I, this is not a joke. John is kind of filler in the summer months, Uh when there just isn't enough with Mark. My scripture professor, Father Randy Soto at Kenrick Lennon, referred to Mark sort of as the comic book version of the gospel. It's just very, very short, succinct, and it's just very quick. Not a lot of filler, uh, just bang, 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 bang. So um, so John's so John chapter 6, for normally five weeks in the summer months of year B, sort of acts as filler. 
And uh, it's five weeks, again, as we said, John chapter 6. And for those of you who don't know what John chapter 6 is, it's Jesus' famous bread of life discourse. It begins with him multiplying loaves and fishes near Capernaum, and then he goes to the synagogue of Capernaum and starts talking about what he just did. He starts talking about um, just the fact that the people were hungry, the fact that the people... Uh, were, were intrigued, that their hearts were hungry more than just their bodies. And he starts talking about how that miracle that he just did, that multiplication of the loaves and fishes, is emblematic of something far deeper, something that he will later do, certainly, at, at, at the Last Supper, um, but also of the Eucharist itself. Uh, and Jesus expounds in great detail, great detail in John chapter 6, about what it means that he is the bread of life. And what the Eucharist is. You know, if for those of you who are more astute with Scripture, you also know John's Gospel does not have the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. Uh, his has the washing of the feet, which is the Gospel that we hear every Holy Thursday. The Synoptic Gospels have Jesus instituting the Eucharist at the Last Supper. John, if you will, his institution of the Eucharist narrative, quote-unquote, is, is John, John chapter 6. six. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that's that's where this comes from. It's and, the I am the bread of life. And I am thrilled that he did it. You know, John wrote presumably after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Correct. And he's kind of, if, if I were to put a exclamation point on the institution of the Eucharist, it would be John 6. Certainly the most in-depth, certainly the most, uh, if you will, profound and at length, um, a lot, lot of deep theology in John chapter 6. Not, not saying that the Last Supper isn't. <laughs> no, no, we're going to get into it, but it's direct, and I will add unequivocal. Correct. Absolutely unequivocal. But now what is also unequivocal is I need my job, and we have forgotten <laughs> to start out with a prayer. So, Father, would you— Oh, my goodness. And don't tell anybody that we didn't start, but we are ready now. All right, so let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord our God, we thank you so much for your presence among us uh, in the scriptures that we read, in the— camaraderie that we share, but more important than that, Lord, we thank you for your presence among us in the Holy Eucharist. We thank you for your body, blood, soul, and divinity that we are able to consume every time we go to Holy Mass. And we thank you for the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment that you provide us through your real presence. We ask that our love for the Eucharist might grow each and every day, foreshadowing the communion that we hope to experience with you in heaven. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There we go. Um, so w one more word about that, and then let's talk about the three or four homilies that, that you gave, which are all tremendous. And that is this. Very often we Catholics are accused of not knowing Scripture. And one of the big things that separate us and our Protestant brothers and sisters is this concept called sola scriptura. Correct. Right? And uh, without getting into that whole thing, when you read John 6, if you have any doubt that Jesus meant what he said, it is completely and utterly dispelled. Correct. Yeah. Um, the things that Jesus says in John chapter 6, beginning with, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, um, these would have been absolutely radical things. for the Abhorrent. People. 
abhor- abhorrent. And I'll give you even an example. So when the Jewish people would offer a sacrifice, when they would offer up a lamb or, or a goat uh, to be slaughtered, mainly at Passover or even Yom Kippur, um, the blood of the animal would not be consumed. The, sacrif- the, the, the flesh would be consumed. That would often referred to as consummating the sacrifice. The blood of the animal was, was left. It was not consumed. It was not used in the sacrifice. Uh, so Jesus saying, drink my blood, that, that portion of, his, uh, uh, of, of the John 6 is something that they would have said, hang on here. Hang on here. No, we don't, we don't drink the blood of the animal that is being offered. And Jesus is using sacrificial language there. And he's in a synagogue as well. Uh, but Jesus says, no, he, he doubles down. He says, no, whoever does eat my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He has so many opportunities to walk back his words, and yet he only doubles down on it. I, I, I preached on this idea a few years ago, and um, my, my, my dear sweet mother, God love her. Uh, you know, we all do. Oh, she, she's amazing. Um, she had, there's a, there's a family story, a family legend, um, she was, we were at a, she was disciplining my brother, and my brother, ah. my, my little brother Kevin and my mother for many years uh, didn't get along. They were wired very, very differently. And later on in, in life, uh, my mom kind of learned how to, I guess, speak better to my brother. Not, not, <laughs> no, not like that, but just how to reach yeah, my know. brother a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and they are, they are super close. My mom kills the fattened calf whenever he comes into town because yeah. he's the youngest. But uh, there was a time when Kevin was very little, and... She was just kind of exasperated with him at her wit's end. It was something something dumb that he probably did. Uh, and we were over at we were at a family gathering, and my mom and her sister, Aunt Peggy, were, were working in the kitchen for something. And my mom was kind of ranting about my brother. And at some point, she said, oh, gosh, I, at some point, I, I got to tighten the noose with that kid. And my sister was a little bit appalled by that. And she says, don't you mean the leash? <laughs> and, and, my, and my mother said, my mother said, Oh no, the noose! <laughs> it's it's like family legend. We, we retell it almost every time we're we're together. But like my mom, my mom could have walked back her words no. there, but no, she doubled down. She's like, no, this this kid needs this kid needs a, a spanking or he needs something. He needs an intervention. Um, and honestly, Jesus's words are sort of the same way. He had every opportunity to walk back the realism of what he was saying. Uh, he had it, 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 almost like explicit and detailed what he said, uh, and even the word he used for eat, like gnaw, gnaw. like it, it, like the, you would like an animal would gnaw, like a carnivore, like yeah. like like you're eating a steak yeah. without silverware. You know, it, it 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 it's the nuance is lost in English because uh, the English language is <laughs> maybe one of the worst languages you could read scripture, unfortunately, but. He uses this very real language to illustrate, no, I want you to consume me. I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's very real, um, very vivid. Um, and he knew he was getting to them because they were walking away. Well, he knew that he was getting to them because he was shocking them. Yeah. Um, you know, something that shocks the the ear can either attract or it can kind of... Uh, make you a little bit more defensive, a little bit more, I don't know, standoffish. Or... But it got their attention. Oh, very much so. Very much so. And, um, and yeah, I think I think it is a—it's a testament to, to what Christ wanted to get across 
uh, that this was some this was a point he was making that was very important. Uh, that he wasn't just going to sidestep it and kind of wordsmith it. It was something that he wanted to really make an impression in the hearts and minds of the people that were listening to him. Um, that that is John chapter six in a nutshell. It is, yeah. it's real. It's it's again almost almost explicitly graphic yeah. in its language. Um, but but the the beautiful part though is that that's what would happen to him. He would be that immolated sacrifice. He would be beaten. He would, um, you know, in in gruesome detail and bled out and bled out. Yeah. Um, that that's what the Eucharist is called to foreshadow. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, the Last Supper is when he you know, made that connection real. Yeah. And and when he said when he said that when he said to these folks his supposedly, or at least as I read it, his disciples, not the apostles, but they started walking away. Like you're saying, he could have said, hey, I'm just talking symbolically, spiritually, right. etc. And and then he looks to the apostles and who speaks but Peter. Right. So we have the, the near the end of John chapter 6, a number of the apostles uh, abandoned him, or not the apostles, the disciples, um, and walked away and no longer believed in him. And Jesus poses to his disciples, he said, do you also want to leave? Because his disciples had said to him, Lord, this teaching is difficult. This teaching is very difficult. It was hard for them to wrap their minds around it, especially because, again, they didn't, they just heard the words about the Eucharist. They didn't have the Eucharist itself in front of them to really illustrate it and, and kind of, okay, this is what Jesus really means. They'd only heard these words about the Eucharist. And so, yeah, it was a hard teaching. That's what the apostles told him. And Jesus asked them, do you also want to leave? But Simon Peter, in in one of his rare moments of brilliance, I guess, in Scripture, he's got, for every moment of brilliance, there's a moment that probably probably made Jesus want to strangle him, I I guess. But um, in this beautiful moment, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. That's what he tells him. And just this beautiful expression of faith from Peter's heart. Um, someone who understands at the very least in the level of faith and on the heart of what Jesus has said. And realizes that what Jesus has said is something that is unique uh, and it's something worth staying for. I think of Peter, because he has my name or I have his, and but I, I identify him as many of us do. And I think when I hear that, it's everything you just said, Father, exactly. And I think you used a wonderful word, faith, because I don't think this, uh, with respect, dumb ox fully appreciated the significance of it, but believed right. in Jesus. Right. And he was willing to even though he didn't have full intellectual appreciation, he had full faith. Right. And, and and that's an important thing. The Eucharist requires faith. It requires the eyes of faith to look beyond the 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 appearances of bread and wine that are before our eyes to be able to say no that is the body and blood of Jesus. It requires great faith. You can have any atheist can intellectually learn about the doctrines of the Eucharist and even learn about any doctrines of the Church itself. Any atheist can learn those things and rattle off, um, you know, that Jesus, uh, that, you know, Catholics believe that Jesus is present in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, or can rattle off the Trinitarian formula or any of these things. But as, as 
as I love to say, that old lady in the back of church who's never yeah. taken a theology class, who's there every day, um, that's a greater knowledge, honestly, than all the book knowledge in the world, because faith is what illuminates that knowledge. Right. Um, it's you know, faith-seeking understanding. That's theology. And as we go on, just know that I, I always say, hey, we're really going to give you some good words, good message, good ideas, but we're not going to fully complete the the uh, path here. There is a great deal of faith that's needed, but we're going to move a lot forward. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you, not quite live, from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. We are here live, uh, not quite live, with Father John Schneier, and he's the associate pastor over at Incarnate Word, and we're talking about Jesus is there. Let me tell you about an old woman in the back of the church. She is my great-grandmother. Oh, wow. So my great-grandmother, who loved my mom, told her two things about the Eucharist. And, of course, my mom passed it on to us. So uh, I, I don't know where we're at from a theological standpoint, but I'll take a chance, okay? Two things. Number one, she told my mom that when you're receiving the Eucharist in that moment that, that um, you are you know, receiving the Eucharist, you are in union, if you will, receiving that Eucharist with everyone, those who have gone before you, those who have died. And number two, that those moments while our Lord is there, you know, intact on your, um, on your tongue, is this wonderful, intimate time where you can ask him anything you want. Not that you can't any other sure. time. Yeah. But it is uniquely special. Very uniquely, yeah. T- to that first point... Um that everyone's there. Um, we would, in seminary, um, there would occasionally be guys that would discern out or would get transferred to other seminaries uh, out of town. Sometimes great friends. Sometimes guys you had really grown in in friendship with, and you knew that you know it wasn't going to be the same. You probably weren't going to see this guy very much, um, maybe a few times, if not ever. Um, and we would sometimes tell each other in our, you know, Seminarian pious platitudes, I guess we would say, "See you in the Eucharist." <laughs> See you in the Eucharist again. Very, very, you got to think. Very pious, idealistic young seminarians, and you know, maybe ov- overly pious. But I think there's actually a lot of truth to to that idea, and th- that that idea has kind of come around. I think, especially in times where I've had really difficult funerals, especially for young people, especially young people who have left children behind. I'll often tell the kids that story, and I say, you know. Your dad or your mom, who's, who's now gone, we can see them there. At the Eucharist, the entire church is present. The church uh, militant here on earth, the church suffering in purgatory, and the church triumphant in heaven. We're all there. It's as if heaven sort of lifts up, you know, cracks open the roof a little bit and looks in. Um, so yeah, see you in the Eucharist is very much a thing. <laughs> um, it's something that's very real. We are united with all those that have gone before us in faith. Um, and the entire church here on earth. Uh, they're all there at the, at the Eucharist, at the altar. And I think it, it makes sense. I heard a, 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 a homily many years ago, so we listen real carefully, I'll guarantee it. You're one but, of the few, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot. And um, it, it described the consecration and the sacrifice of the Mass as, since I'm into Star Trek and all that stuff, but time folding in on itself— my 
my uh, I have a partner who has just recently passed away. He 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 uh, left all faith, and um, but at some point he started coming back. He I always say he was on the road to being Catholic, but he used to hit me with a lot of things. He says, "You guys, here's why I can't be a Catholic because you resacrifice Christ every every day and every and and I said no. It isn't a resacrifice; it's a representation. We are made present to the uh, to to our Lord, and and how can that be? Well, who created time? Who created space? God created time. God created space. How can you create it if you're in it? He does not operate in Correct. time, so we can join with him in, as you said. In the Eucharist, all is one at all time. Right. You know, and if there, uh, if there's anything lacking in the suffering of Christ, it's our participation in it. Uh, that's the only thing that is lacking in Christ's sacrifice. It's our participation in it. His sacrifice is whole and complete and, and perfect and infinite. Um, but the only thing that's lacking is it in it is our in, in our in our finite nature, our participation in it, and. That's why we need the mass. That's why we need mass every week. That's At least. why that's why the yeah, exactly. That's why the church wants us to receive the Eucharist as often as we can because it's our participation in that sacrifice. That's the only thing that's lacking in it. Father, you said something very profound and I, I don't want folks to to let it slip by. So you 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 actually used the word lacking in Christ. I think you were quoting first Colossians. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, making yeah, I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I think right. it was what St. Paul said. Um yeah, the same goes with, with his sufferings, too. Right. That's the only thing that's lacking, is our participation in it. And it isn't because God needs it, no. needs us. He wants us he to He wants us because, because it's good for us. It's good for us. Because it's Absolutely good for us. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many parents have had children who want to help Dad cut the grass, or want to help Mom bake the cake, or want to help Dad fix the car? I'm telling you, he, they don't need him to do it. Correct. But we want them to, yeah. like you said, Father, because it's good for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's good for them. The other thing you said, and, I, and I'm trying to keep notes, you're, you're too profound sure. here. It's all good. You used the word, and, I, and I, I was hoping you would expound on it a little bit. You, you used the word accident of appearance, mm. and I think that is that can be very elucidating into sure. what we talk about in terms of the reality of the Eucharist, accident of of appearance. Yeah, so, uh, gosh, it's taking me back to philosophy in uh, my second year of college. So um, we know through philosophy that all things, all physical things, have what's called substance and accidents. Um, and the substance is the nature of the thing, the essence of the thing. Um, so, Peter, right now, you and I are sitting in chairs. Um, the substance of those things is chair. Yeah. We are, we are sitting on the essence of chair. Mm-hmm. But... We know that some chairs can be different than other chairs. Some can be made of wood. Others can be, you know, lounge chairs. Some could recline. Others could rock. Um, The accidents are the appearances and maybe you could say circumstances in which that chair physically exists. So the chair that I'm on right now has a little bit, little cushion on the bottom. Uh, Not much. Not much and a little bit on the back. Uh, there's kind of a hole around my midsection, uh, or my rear end, you could say. Kind it's of, black. Yeah, it's, a, it's made of black leather, it's made of wood. Uh, those would be the accidents of the chair, the appearances, or uh, you could say more the physical qualities of the chair, as opposed to its essence. We know that the essence of chair 
can take many different forms. Again, the different types of chairs, the different looks that you have with chairs, they all share in the essence of chair. That rhymes way too well. That was really good. Um, so the essence of chair, it's, a, it's the nature of the thing. Uh, it, it's not... Um, it's not something that you can, I guess, physically delineate, but you know it when you see it. Right. You could say. Right. That uh, was, again, probably a poor philosophical understanding, but that's the best I can do in, in these circumstances. So substance is the essence, the nature of the thing, and the accidents are the physical appearances and qualities about that thing. When we talk about the Eucharist... Um, and even that word transubstantiation. We believe that Jesus is really, truly, and physically present in the Eucharist. And we believe that the substance, the substance of that bread and wine changes while the accidents remain the same. That's an important distinction. Again, appearances of bread and wine, that's referring to the accidents. Um, the bread still looks like bread, and that wine still tastes like wine. The accidents remain the same, but the substance, the essence, the nature of that thing has changed. It's changed into the body and blood of Jesus. Um, again, so it's a unique change. It's a very unique change. Oftentimes, when we see change in our world, it's the accidents that are changing. But in this circumstance, it's the substance the substance changes, but the accidents remain the same. So that's what we mean by transubstantiation. Uh, it's a change of the substance uh, rather than the accidents. So, Jesus, so the, the appearances of bread and wine are still there, uh, but the thing itself, its essence, its nature, is not bread. It is Jesus' body. Yeah. And it is Jesus's blood. And it's so important, you know. After we come back from our break, maybe we'll talk about the the various uh, levels of transubstantiation or the understandings of it from most sure. other faiths. But yeah, it's you important. know, when, uh, that example of the chair, I think, was great. And 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 it's sort of like uh, what we talk about our house or our home. Yeah. Uh, I can have a house that's white or brown. It could be a building, oh anything. I mean, human beings. But, I mean, I'm I'm a little overweight. I got short brown hair, you know. Yeah, it's the case with everything. But it doesn't matter what it looks like. The The issue is what is the essence of it? Correct. What is the essence of it? So we are just diving into the deep end here in a moment. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you not quite live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. We're here with Father John Schneier. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. We're talking about Jesus is there, and the reality of the Eucharist. We're not skimming the surface, we're diving deep. Why? Because that's what our Lord wanted us to do. He gave us this great gift. He told us exactly what it is. And, and you know, maybe we don't quite appreciate it fully, like Peter, but in faith, we keep pursuing it. That's what we have to do. So tell a friend to come and listen. 
Looking for a way to teach your children about our Catholic faith? Colby Academy has the solution, offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible, and affordable. Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students, recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace, and traditional homeschool courses for maximum flexibility in home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E dot org. Or give them a call. Area code 707-255-6499. That's 707-255-6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Well, we're back. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you kind of live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm with Father John Schneier, the Associate Pastor at Incarnate Word. Great to be with you, Peter. I'm telling you, preacher extraordinaire. And we are talking... You're very kind. (laughs) Hey, I'm not kind, man. I'm happy you're here. You know, and and let's be honest. I don't... This will sound really bad. I don't... I don't come to Mass to see you. Good. Good. If you if you give a horrible <laughs> homily, which will never happen, doesn't bug no me. No one at should all. come to mass to see me. <laughs> no one should. It's a bonus, so I'm happy about the bonus. But we, as Catholics, we go to mass. We go to worship for a particular and specific reason. Absolutely, and it's to 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 worship God, to be right. to receive Him, to to be with Him. Why? Because He deserves it. But having said that, boy, I did love your I do love your homilies. And we're talking about Jesus is here. We're talking about the real presence and, and why this makes sense. Remember when our Lord went to Peter and said, well, you're going to leave me too? He, he didn't have full intellectual appreciation for it all, but he had faith. So do we. And we're moving down that road to, to figure out more, to understand better. Absolutely. All right. Um, so uh, we talked about, uh, we, when we talk about the real presence, there is that moment of of reverence, if you will, after after man, uh, after communion, and we're we're supposed to take a, a moment to reflect. and And I note that um, that that you priests after communion, we'll go and sit and pause. So uh, maybe just one moment, one moment, if you could talk about what we should do after we receive. Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is above all to say thank you. 
Uh, we've received the greatest gift that we could ever receive, and it's important for us to express that with gratitude. Any gift that we receive on this earth, we normally you know, write a thank you card, or we express our gratitude in some way, shape, or form. It's important that we express our gratitude to God for that gift of the Eucharist that we have received, and to really just experience the communion, if you will, that we, that we have, um, at least for 10, 15 minutes or so, however long it takes our bodies to digest, <laughs> to digest unleavened bread, um, Jesus is physically in us. Um, th- that is a unique time, a very unique time. And so just to say, Lord, you know, you are with me and I am with you. Um, you are here. Uh, you are within me. You are nourishing me. You are you are present in my in my body, uh, and just so just to say to say thank you for that, and to ask for the grace of the Eucharist to permeate our daily life. I mean, really, that's 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 that, that, that's the Christian spiritual life in a nutshell, right there. Um, one of the prayers I always love to pray is that Anima Christi oh. prayer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Soul of Christ, sanctify me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a beauty, and it asks the Eucharist to truly permeate our existence on every level, and to ask God to um, to allow the graces that we receive in communion to be active more than just one hour a week. A great friend of mine gave me a book of Catholic sayings and, and traditions and prayers, and I was going through it one day, and I discovered this prayer that I'd never heard of before, the Amina Christi, and... and I went to my men's group and I talked about it and, and I thought I was coming up with something really cool and unique. And, uh, and, and Steve Dickett, you know who he is, he said, Peter, have you ever looked at the back of the missile? Oh, yeah. They're pretty much always in the back of the <laughs> missile. Uh, you didn't discover anything yeah. new, man. Yeah, it's right there, man. Right there. Oh, <laughs> boy. So one of the things, first off, if, if, tell me about a couple of those homilies you gave, sure. if you don't mind. And, yeah. And then so, maybe at the end we can talk a little bit about a Eucharistic miracle. Yeah. Um, so myself and Father Schrader, we we kind of realized, okay, we're going to get four weekends of John 6. Normally there would be five, but as you know, the Assumption was on a Sunday, so that kind of broke it up a little bit. We had three weeks of John chapter 6, then the Assumption, and then a final week of John chapter 6. So we had four weeks this year where we were going to... Um, we're going to need to preach on the Eucharist. And it's all, it's always kind of hard because the readings can sort of seem, they're very, very similar to each other. And as a priest, one of the things that we do struggle with sometimes in homilies is sort of pacing ourselves, if you will. And I'll, I'll use this example. Um, my professor in seminary who t- taught me homiletics, Father Don Wester, who's out at All Saints in St. Peter's, he kind of said, he said, gentlemen, you're going to be preaching every Sunday for 50 years. He said, don't try to tell people everything you know about the Eucharist in one homily. He <laughs> said, because you've got 50 years worth of homilies that you still have to do. Um, he said, so just resist the temptation to try to cram everything in. Like, oh my gosh, I, I, there's so much I could say about the Eucharist. And, and that applies here. Like, if you try to go all out on week one, you're like, oh my gosh, I've got four more weeks of this. How do I just talk without repeating myself? for four weeks, because that's boring. No one ever wants to repeat themselves. So we were, I think we were driving back, it was from here in Confessions, or we were at dinner somewhere, and I was just saying, you know, well, we got we got four weeks of John chapter 6 this summer, and I was like, I just said, I don't really want to repeat myself <laughs> for four weeks. And I said, what if we did kind of a thematic series, if you will, of homilies, uh, maybe one on Eucharistic reverence, um, 
and, and we, I, we just threw out some topics, and uh, it sort of came from that. It was us saying, yeah, you know, we should probably coordinate that so um, we aren't repeating ourselves and that folks that, you know, that might consistently go to, say, the 1030 mass or something like that, that they would hear the same thing that the folks at the 5 o'clock vigil were hearing. Um, because, you know, if, one, if only one of us does a preaching series, quote-unquote, well, then not all the parish is going to hear it because we rotate which masses we offer each week. So we kind of came up with, it was four, four different topics. We did Eucharistic reverence. That was the first one. We wanted to begin there. Then we talked about the Eucharist as nourishment, as food for our souls. The third week, we preached on the real presence of Jesus in Holy Communion. And the fourth week, the final week, we wanted to conclude with the topic of Eucharistic coherence, um, which is kind of a... I don't know, it's a euphemism in vogue, I guess, today. It's a topic that especially our bishops have been talking about in the last few months, especially early on in June at their uh, their virtual meeting. Um, and Eucharistic, Eucharistic coherence really centers around the idea of worthy reception of Holy Communion. Again, obviously, it's been a topic in the news with regards to public figures uh, who at least profess the Catholic faith and um, might receive the Eucharist in an unworthy manner. It's kind of the term that our bishops have used to say that there needs to be a coherence between what we believe, our, our conduct, and the Eucharist that we receive. Um, but really, th- that topic, it's a topic that all of us should, should think about. Uh, this is not a topic that's reserved for only a few people in certain positions of public life. It's something that all of us should think about every time that we walk into Mass. Is there a coherence between my belief my conduct, and the Eucharist that I hope to receive. So those are the four topics, reverence, nourishment, the real presence, and Eucharistic coherence. And um, that's what we preached about, and all we coordinated with our permanent deacons, so we made sure that they were all preaching on those topics, at least in the given weeks that they were assigned. Our, our retired priest in residence, Father Sullivan, did that as well. Um, and that's what we did uh, for four weeks. It was awesome. It was kind of nice. I mean, it, 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 if anything, it made writing the homilies easier, because sometimes half the battle is narrowing down a specific idea. Yeah. Uh, if anything, it made the weeks that I preached a little easy because I had them all <laughs> kind of figure it out early. And I like the coherence idea because it is something that is sometimes glanced over. I, I would venture to guess that the lines in front of the confessional are slightly smaller than the lines in front of the communion rail. It's a very good way to describe it, yeah. But my when um, it, it and I'm I come from a Spanish tradition and if you if you go to a, a Hispanic church if you're in South America or in Spain or whatever, you'll find that not everybody goes to communion. In sure. fact, it's it's uh, a significant portion don't because the the culture and I'm not saying this is theologically correct, but the culture is a bit more stringent in that there's a, a, a more specific examination of yeah. of where you stand and. I know one day my my daughter and I were having a row, you know, because she has never arrived anywhere on time. And <laughs> my wife and my other daughter went already to Mass. I'm sitting waiting for her, so we're in the car, and I'm yelling at her most of the way to church. And I'm mad as hell because sure. it's I'm late again, and she's late again. And we get there, and, of course, we walk in, and we're all nice and everything. We're standing there. Well, after um, uh, at the sign of peace... My daughter wouldn't give me the sign of peace. Mm. No hug, no smile, no nothing. So I didn't go to communion. Mm. I sat down. Yeah, right. And you know, it, it, and I didn't say a word. But after mass, my daughter is rolling her eyes, and she said, "Oh yeah, yeah. If you're not at peace with your brother, you need to leave your gift at the altar." She knows and her scripture well. She does. And but the point was, 
it made more of an impact sure. than anything I could have said. Yeah, and, and, and again, just to look in your own heart at that moment and say, okay, there, there isn't a coherence between my conduct and the charity that, that is emblematic of the sacrament of charity. Um, so yeah, it, it's um, even sort of what you said, yeah, it's hard, at least in America, even just the design of our churches. Most people don't realize if you go to Europe especially, not all, very, very, very few of their churches have like what we would call pews. People just you know, just set up chairs. Um, the churches in Rome really don't have pews, except for maybe the front few rows. Um, people just kind of stand around, and communion is kind of a mad scramble. <laughs> um, and I don't I don't say that in like a negative way, but just it's not it's not uniform. It's not organized like it is here in the states. Everyone just kind of crowds around uh, someone giving out communion. It's done in a reverent way, but it's not. You don't stick out if you don't go, and. I think part of the struggle, especially here in the United States, is you know, we go up to communion in a very organized manner, one pew at a time, and, and it's very obvious when someone is still sitting in a pew <laughs> if they're not going to communion. And I think we sort of need to remove the stigma of that, or just go up to communion and cross your arms and receive a blessing. That, that can be very discreet if you don't want to put yourself out there, if you will. Um, but I, I think, yeah, we, we, we sort of need to, if anything sounds weird, remove the stigma of not receiving communion, because for many people, that's the holiest thing they can do in that moment. Because it would be, again, if we have mortal sin in our souls, brothers and sisters, we know that we shouldn't receive. So if we if we have that sin on our souls, the holiest thing for us to do in that moment is not to receive. Yeah. Um, and it might be medicinal, correct, too. Correct, for someone that's living in a state incompatible with church teaching, or, uh, or if there's some, uh, again, disunity or incoherence between what we believe. There is a major teaching of the Church that we're struggling to to believe fully. Um, that might be... And, and we're all sinners, be, and there oh, are times... Oh, my goodness, that, absolutely. There are times that we we might uh, be in need in confession and, and couldn't go. Yes. But oh, I, I'll, I'll attest to that. Uh, three Saturdays ago, I was with my buddies. We all went to Mass on Saturday, and I sat down, and I didn't go. And I'll tell you what it made me think of, and, and there may have been a week or two that I didn't go. But have you ever missed a couple of meals? You feel hungry. I, I yeah. You have. Well, right? <laughs> I, I, if, you, if you look at me, folks on YouTube know that I um, I'm not the kind of guy that misses many meals. Uh, my mother will attest to that. I, I enjoy them to the full. But but yeah, if you miss a meal, yeah, you're hungry. But if you miss the Eucharist a couple of times, I'm telling you, you get hungry. Yeah. You yeah. Get hungry. Well, and again, we um, and we we experienced this at least last year during the times where we weren't able to have public mass and. I talked about this at least the weekend that we came back from it at Cottleville. I said, obviously, this wasn't our choice, and it was circumstances beyond our control. But I hope that at some point during that time, we felt hungry, that we felt a hunger for the Eucharist, that we really missed it. Again, it was a, it was an incredibly unique circumstance, um, one that we would obviously never put ourselves through willingly. Um, but I, it, it was almost like the hypothetical of, you know, like, take a couple weeks off, if you will, and just see what happens to your heart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it was a hypothetical made very, very real. Um, and it, it was so beautiful, especially those first few weeks, to see folks, I mean, almost in tears, receiving Holy Communion. In tears. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll completely level. I, uh, I, 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 I I might have gone to my parents' sunroom on Easter Sunday, and I might have offered Mass for them privately. I might have. You never know. Uh, you never know. Uh, n- use of the subjunctive there, or the, <laughs> the uh, circumstantial, indefinite, yeah, yeah. the indefinite. Uh, notice that. I might have done that, and it might have been 
the first time in a month that my mother had received communion. She's a daily communicant. My, my dad tries to go to daily mass when he can. Um, and it, it was, it was one of the most emotional things that I've been a part of as a priest. Um, you know, it was, you know, the height of the lockdowns and you know, we, we did our part to social distance and whatnot. It felt a little bit like we were, like I was in a convent and my parents were <laughs> behind the glass door in the, in the house, like they were in the cloister and we, they came out for communion, but it was so beautiful to just see the hunger in, in my mother's eyes and just to hear her words of mass just because she had been away for a while. Um, and it was so beautiful to just see that hunger made made real. And it is a hunger. It really is. You know, I think of that time, not to dwell on it, but that is, and I was thinking about it since I was born, that was the longest I had ever been away from church. Oh, for many people. For many people. Again, I, as I, I don't say this as in pride, but at least as a priest, we were just, we're blessed to offer Mass every day, regardless of whether people are there. And those, those Masses are just as efficacious. They're just as meaningful. Um, but it was hard for us. You know, we, we, we want to we wanna have people around. Uh, we want to preach to people. We want to feed our people. And it, it was hard. Again, it was something that, you know, circumstances beyond our control. It was hard, um, for, you know, for that time. But um, just the beauty of being able to see people come back um, was something that, uh, that I will never forget. Father, as a man in the pews who I will say I did—I mean, I did cry. I was a— I, I, it was uh, surprisingly emotional, and you look around those first week or so, it was, or more, uh, I was not alone in sure. that regard. I really yeah. wasn't. There was, a lot, there was a lot of beauty to that, I think. Yeah. Just that, that whole arc and of, it does of feed everything. Us. What was yeah. one of the topics? You yeah, Eucharist is nourishment. It's nourishment. Um, yeah. Uh, Deacon Morris, Deacon Donald Morris, a transitional deacon at our parish, uh, talked about, uh, it was men who had, in World War II, who had... Uh, been captive in a Japanese prison, a, a Japanese prisoner of and, war camp. Yeah, and I want to know about that. But oh, I we first, got oh, we got. <laughs> we got to do that station thing. So this is Saint Joseph Radio presents coming to you from Saint Louis, Missouri, not quite live. And I'm your host Peter Karutz, and this is Father John Schneier, and we're going to hear my favorite story uh, that I heard uh, the transitional deacon say in his homily. So yes. he was the only deacon I heard. Sp- Preach Correct. those weeks. Yeah, we, we did have our permanent deacons preach as well. Uh, but uh, Deacon Morris preached about these soldiers that had been in an, a POW camp in the Pacific Theater during World War II. And at, near the end of the war, as the Japanese military was sort of abandoning some of the islands, they abandoned their island. And they were told that on the other end of the island was a British air base. And so they, these men who were malnourished, who had been tortured, they trekked 40 miles through... Uh, through this very mountainous island. Uh, no shoes. No shoes. I mean, yeah, yeah, just malnourished with very little, and some of the men died on the way. And these men, who, who uh, was described by the British commander who looked like they were half dead, showed up at this air base. And the, the British soldiers said, what can we get you? What, what, what can, how can we help you? And they looked at each other and they said, you know, it's been however many months or years. We want to go to Mass. So they quickly found a Catholic chaplain, and he offered Mass for these men. And they said there wasn't a dry eye in, in, on the, enti- in the entire room of, of these men who had withstood so much and had been deprived of so much. The first thing they wanted was nourishment for their souls. Um, it, it's incredibly moving. Um, it's an incredibly moving thing. I, I also think of the, the great Jesuit priest, Father Walter Chiswick who withstood so much torture in the gulags in Russia. Many times he 
there were multiple times where he went years without going to Mass over the course of probably 20-plus years of captivity in Russia. Uh, and he wrote in his book, He Leadeth Me, he said, Those who have never been deprived of Holy Communion do not understand what treasure it is. And, you know, and, he, and he's right. Um, and we were only deprived of it a couple months. That's, mm-hmm. that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. nothing compared to what so many other people have gone through in the Church's history. And again, it speaks to the hunger that we should have for the Eucharist, for Christ's real presence. And the risk that people have taken in order oh, to my go goodness. to Mass. One of my favorite saints, my favorite saint, uh, just had his feast day on the 14th of August, Maximilian Kolbe, and how the stories of him saying Mass in, in the uh, concentration camps, or, you know, quite frankly, the whole underground church in, in China right yeah, now. Yeah, China, you, know, you, can, you can look to Poland back in the day, uh, so many places. There are so many people who are willing to jump through hoops and go through great danger in order to receive Holy Communion. And I think so often we just take that gift for granted. Um, we say, oh, uh, you know, something else is more important. Uh, for, for all of those other people, it's worth dying for. Um, that, that risk that they are willing to take. Even the, the great martyrs of the Church, they, they were willing to die for it, for something that we kind of throw away and rather sit, sit around and watch football uh, on Sundays, um, either the European or American varieties. <laughs> but, Father, you, you've hit a, yeah. num- a number of the topics, uh, but it, maybe as we close, uh, I don't know if we'll have time to get to Eucharistic adoration, but I'm, I'm sorry, not U- Eucharistic miracle, but maybe Eucharistic adoration. You know, we all have friends, some, some very close friends, and one of the things we love to do with our friends is spend time with them. Right. And that's how we get to know them. Um, I'm just going to hit you cold. I didn't didn't prepare for no, this one, okay. but I think that we've talked about the real presence, right? Right. We've tried to talk about how that makes sense from a, a, a intellectual standpoint. The difference between what th- something looks like and the substance of it. We talked about the 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 communal level of it. The, we talked about the coherence and how we all believe everything the church teaches when we go to communion, et cetera, et cetera. But Adoration yeah. is a little bit—it's another aspect. It's another dimension. Right. It's, it's us beholding God. It's FaceTime with Him. Um, we've, kn- we've gotten to know, at least in the last year, that it's important for physical presence. Uh, it's important that we be face-to-face. It's important that we be with each other, because when we don't have that level, if it's just in front of a screen, um, it's not the same. And it's the same with Jesus. Um, we, we need to be in His presence uh, right in front of him, to see him right before our eyes. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm always reminded of the story of John Vianney. Um, mm-hmm. When he first started off in, in ours, uh, he, you know, had Eucharistic adoration going, and really there was just this old man who would come. He was pretty much be the only one there. And at one point, John Vianney asked him, he's like, why are you here? <laughs> you know, everyone else, no one else in this town comes here. Why are you here? Or what do you do here? And the man very simply pointed toward the monsters and said, I look at him and he looks at me. Yeah. And that's what happens with us. It's FaceTime with God. It's it's us having intimacy, intimacy with him, that, that vulnerability, opening ourselves up to God who, who opens himself and makes himself vulnerable to us in the form of bread. Um, that's that's what adoration's all about. And, and as good as you did, Father— you know, it's like you trying to describe a steak dinner to someone who doesn't know what steak is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love come, steak, folks. I uh, love steak. Come and try adoration. Spend an hour. You know, I always think of it as 
you know, the great call that our Lord had to his apostles. Could right. you not spend, spend an, hour an hour with me? So I, I had the great fortune of having a, a spiritual director for a few years. And I remember one day we I came in and he says, well, you know, same thing. How are you and God doing? Tell me about your prayer life. And I told him, oh, man, I got I, go to, I have my hours of adoration. I, I go in, I do my Lexio. I, well, I, first I say my rosary, then I do my Lexio, and then I have this, and then I do that. And, I, and then I'm, I, and the hour is gone. Hmm. And he looks at me and he shakes his head. He says, from now on, once a week, you go and do another hour. And I got my notepad out. I got my pencil and I'm writing down something. <laughs> All right, what do I need to do? What do I got to do? I'm ready. I'm ready. He said, nothing. Yeah. I said, what do you mean? He says, you don't go in with an intention to pray, a book, nothing. Go in and sit and listen and be in the presence of God. Exactly. It was, is absolutely amazing. And if you haven't done it, you need to try it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the hour that can change your life, honestly. Um, I remember when he was here in St. Louis, uh, Cardinal Burke would once w- would tell the guys in seminary, uh, he'd say, you know, you will discover God's will for you in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. That's where you will discover it. That's where God will make his will known to you. That's where God will speak to you in the most direct way he can. Um, that'll happen in his presence in Holy Communion. So if we, if we want to know what God wants us to do, if we want to discern his will, if we want to receive his grace— that's the place where we need to go. It's the place where he speaks to us most clearly, and it often happens in silence. In silence. Yeah. You know, how do you listen to somebody if you're talking all the time? Exactly. Be quiet. Exactly. Listen. That's my problem. I, I talk too much. Sometimes. Oh, hey, we're two peas in a pod here. Yeah. I will tell one more story. Uh, there's, a, there's a story in, about uh, China when the, uh, the, the, uh, so the communists came in and they... Sh- closed down the churches. And this one church, they shot up the church, and they're looking for the priest, can't find him, he's hiding. And they also shot up the, uh, the, the um, help me, Father, the, where we keep the Eucharist. It's oh, the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Yeah. And the Eucharist was scattered all on the floor. And the, this young child spent a holy hour once a day and took one Eucharist hmm. until the last day where she was caught and killed. Wow. And Bishop Fulton Sheen said... That day, he decided to do Eucharistic Hour every single day. Wow. Father, do you have a moment to give us a quick blessing? Sure, absolutely. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine upon you and show you his mercy. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you his peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Father. This was Jesus is There. And he is. So go see him. I can tell you where he's going to be tomorrow morning. Go to Mass. Yep. Tell a friend and proclaim it boldly. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.